Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy and Kurt Levins. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, David. Welcome back. Hello, hello. Thanks. Yep. I was in uh, my wife's hockey tournament in Las Vegas. Spent a lot of time actually in the practice rink where the Vegas Golden Knights practice. There was a night store there and it was a good time. Vegas downtown community arena? No, it was um, (laughs) way in the outskirts. You had to get on a team bus for each game and uh, travel like 30 minutes uh, outside the city core to get to the arena. But... uh, a lot of, lot of hockey, uh, but Edmonton beat Vegas, so there Sweet. you go. And, so Lily's uh, team did well? Yeah, the uh, Ice Cubes won their division, so it Fantastic. was a big moment. And Lily, Lily, who's been playing uh, hockey five years, played the best hockey of her life. It was fantastic to see. So, so awesome. I'm hearing she's the really talented one in the house. <laughs> it wouldn't, to, to be more talented than me at hockey, Kurt, would not take a huge amount of talent. <laughs> But she, she's a hell of a skater, and she really started to fly on the ice using her speed, skating to the open ice, okay. as we right. say. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, um, good for her. Congratulations. I'll tell her that. Thanks, guys. Um, so uh, we're going to go over a number of topics tonight. We'll talk about trade targets for the Oilers, Corey Perry's um, introduction to the team, the best and worst surprises for the Oilers this year, um, we'll dig into C- Cody Cece and uh, Brett Kulak, two defensemen, not really on the hot seat, but um, well, some fans would say they're both on the hot seat, but um, we'll, we'll talk about them and their future with the Oilers. And uh, is there one more? Th- Kurt, did you add, add one more suggestion there? I'm just Playoff, predi- Playoff prediction. All right, we'll do that too. Let's start off, though, with the Calgary big trade tonight. <clears throat> big trade tonight. The Calgary Flames have traded Elias Lindholm, who was last mentioned on Oilers Now on Monday and mentioned in Kurt's column on Sunday. It's nine things column as a potential trade target for the Edmonton Oilers. But the Vancouver Canucks have acquired him and they, in exchange, um, the Calgary Flames got Andre Kuzmenko, who had a big year last year, a Russian winger, um, a 2024 first round draft pick, a defenseman prospect called Hunter Brustewicz, who is uh, from the OHL and apparently is a, a more than a point-a-game player there and, and is tearing up the P-patch. A Finnish uh, prospect called Yanni Yermo on a conditional fourth pick. And Vancouver gets Elias Lindholm. What does this mean for the Edmonton Oilers, Kurt? Uh, it means their <clears throat> probably number one target is off the board. Um, yeah. But when you look at the price that Vancouver played for what is probably going to be a rental, uh, I would suggest that maybe Edmonton was already out of this price range. I mean, the Oilers would have needed Calgary to probably retain 50% and do this deal later and maybe even have yeah. a third team involved in order to make the cash work. And there still would have had to have been cash going out in term in in the in the form of a contract so while i know that edmonton was definitely interested it would seem at the end of the day that vancouver was the club that really had the wherewithal uh cap space uh and uh, assets in order to acquire him lynn holmes a really good player would have immediately made <clears throat> the team that he goes to better um certainly makes the canucks better um I'm still not 100% sold on Vancouver, but they're certainly selling out, and I applaud them for that. And speaking of selling out, that's clearly what Calgary's doing. They they see there's too many there's too many teams for them to uh, to uh, to frog frogger jump uh, over in the uh, wild card standings, and so it's the sell off has begun. He's one of three or four players that are going to disappear here in the probably in the next two to three weeks just just a real quick Kurt and at the risk of starting a riot on Twitter if not in the streets of Vancouver why are you not completely sold on the Canucks I'm still not sold on their defense I think they've got a world-class goaltender um you might remember 
and I, I have no problem admitting this, I did not pick Vancouver to make the playoffs in my preseason uh, predictions, as lots of people didn't. And my big question I had at the time was, boy, I just don't think that defense can get them all the way. I still don't. Um, but hey, I give them credit. Uh, they're at the top right now, and they've done everything that's needed to get there. Um, but I think if they, I think if they ever lost their number one goaltender, I think things would change in a hurry. Well, that's true, but true of a lot of teams. Hironic mm-hmm. has really stepped up this year. Has he? Ever? Um, and um, I mean, that looks like a bad trade for Detroit at this point because he's just been um, crushing it for Vancouver and. They picked up Zadorov. So they got some big guys there now. I guess Carson Soucy's been hurt a lot this year. But yeah, I, I I can't say. I haven't seen Vancouver in so long. And the last time we saw them, they looked like the Harlem Globetrotters playing the Washington Generals. Because <clears throat> it was the Oilers they were beating up on during the Oilers' bad spell. Bruce, let's. Uh, what do you think? What does this trade, the Lindholm trade, mean for the Oilers, in your opinion? Well, I think Kurt kind of had it surrounded with, you know, the timing of the trade. Uh, Vancouver was able to make this deal right away because they actually shed cap in this transaction. Kuzmenko, uh, this year and one more year to run it, $5.5 million. And uh, in a year that Vancouver was really in the ascendant, uh, he was going the other way hard from a a season last year where he scored uh, 39 goals and 74 points. Uh, in 81 games to this year, just eight goals and 13 assists, 21 points in 43 games. So his points per game was way down. His goals per game was way, way down. Uh, he was healthy, scratched a few times. So they're probably, you know, in terms of the immediate perspective of this year, they're probably not too unhappy to get rid of that second year of uh, Kuzmenko's contract to Calgary. And they may have actually had to pay a little bit extra uh, for Calgary to take that on. In the meantime, they have Lindholm at about 4.85 million, so about 650,000 less on an expiring deal. And he's not, you know, having a super great year either. But then again, he's been playing for the Flames, and uh, he's going to get a new lease on life with a uh, with a team that's a lot closer to the top of the standings than the Flames are, and as a you know, a right shot de- uh, center with an abundance of you know multiple uh, skills, uh, he should help Vancouver quite a lot. And Mm-hmm. Whether it's whether it's a not enough or not, I don't know. I, I watch Vancouver, and every time I do, I see that gigantic uh, defense pair of uh, Zadorov, who they got earlier this year, also from Calgary, in a trade, and the guy they call, they call the Chaos Giraffe, uh, Tyler Myers, and those two guys are are uh, <laughs> something else to watch. You never know. Uh, life is like a box of chocolates when they're on the ice, and uh, uh-huh. uh, it, uh, it's kind of entertaining. And uh, whether you like Vancouver or don't like Vancouver, you might get your wish either way. Let's put it that way. So Tyler Myers, the <laughs> the plus sized Dennis Grubishkov. Um <laughs> the um, you know it, it, if you're thinking about it, it would make sense that Vancouver would outbid the Oilers yep. for this player for two reasons. So they both, I think have their eyes on the prize in a big way this year. And they both are highly motivated to go deep in the playoffs. Vancouver's got to convince Elias Peterson to resign there. And that's only going to happen if they win a round or two of the playoffs, I'm guessing. Like, that really helps. I mean, I think it's significant. So because of that, and, you know, they could also win the Stanley Cup, they're thinking. So they have, the owners have that motivation. So does Vancouver in a big way. So they're kind of equal in that regard. And that was the biggest motivation, I think, for the Oilers to go for um, Elias Lindholm, which is a big one. But Vancouver has um, two others in that they have a lot of salary coming off the books this summer. Tyler Myers, $6 million a year is coming off. Um, Hronik, 4.4. Zadorov, 3.75. Ian Cole, 3 million. Now they're going to have to have other, they're going to have to have defensemen. Nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, or Peterson could leave and then they could, you know, then they'd really want Lindholm maybe, or um, they're going to shift some money they're paying to the defense and they're going to start paying um, Elias Lindholm. So they have the ability at least. I don't think the orders, I couldn't see how they could make it work in any way to sign Elias Lindholm to an eight, let's say an eight, $9 million a year contract. Oh, I... It wasn't going to happen. So he would be just a rental. So Vancouver also has that in mind. 
Plus, mm-hmm. the Oilers have two pretty good top line centers in McDavid and Drysdale. You know, they're not bad. And um, Vancouver, though, Lindholm, I think, might fill the gap more for them at second line center, where they they're not quite as deep as the Oilers, although they have agree. Peterson and Miller could both play center. I understand. I'm not. I don't watch the team enough to know what the rotation is all the time. But Lindholm slots. There's a much more natural spot and a natural hole right at the top of the lineup yeah. for Elias Lindholm in in um, Vancouver. Where the the Oilers right now, you know, they've got a lot of candidates for the top six right now. In fact, for the top nine. So the desperation in our in order to to make a big offer for Lindholm wasn't quite as much. Plus, they had Kuzmenko, kind of a player on the outs. Yeah. who has some value, and the owners don't really have that either. Yeah, they got Jack Campbell in terms of a contract that they wouldn't mind moving on, but nobody's going to take that with three more years running out, yeah. the guy not even in the NHL. So on the other hand, they've got, you know, as you mentioned, J.T. Miller. Well, sometimes they like to run him on the first line. They stack it up with him and yeah. and Peterson and Besser all on the one line. And so in that case, you know, having Lindholm to anchor your second line is, is uh, uh, a nice fallback. And the other real interesting guy, I'll just mention him quickly, this Hunter Bruchewicz uh, from Kitchener Rangers. He's from uh, Michigan. Uh, anyway, uh, he's kind of like Bo Aiki on steroids. In fact, I heard somebody mention they wished the Oilers had drafted him instead of Aiki last year. He went 75th overall. And this year he's played, he's a D-man, six feet. Uh, he played uh, right shot D-man, 47 games, eight goals, and 61 assists so far this year. 69 points plus 30 with Kitchener Rangers. So that's a player to watch. Yeah, I think Bo Aiki would have had really good numbers this year too. But um, good for good for the, yeah. He sounds like he sounds like he's a you know a B plus part of the deal. prospect that they picked up there as well. So <clears throat> you know, this I, is a race if they win. It's too much if they don't. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> All right, trade targets for the Oilers. What what position do you think they're going to target? And you can come up with it. You can just have a position. If you have any names, you can come. You can let loose with those as well. Bruce, we'll start with you. Well, I've been reading the internet, you know, and that's kind of a dangerous place to go. Yeah. And the Oilers, you know, they've only won like their last 16 straight. So as I understand it, they needed a second line right wing, a third line right shot center who can win draws and penalty kill. Uh, They need a second-pairing right-shot defenseman. They need a depth defenseman, and they need a backup goalie. And if they can just solve those few little problems, they might be able to be a contender. (laughs) Is that all? That's most of the list. It's probably not all of it, but that's what I can remember. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I've been thinking of running the oil country. I've been thinking of writing this post, a post this week saying, especially now that they got Corey Perry, is the best move might be no move. I mean, this is a really good hockey team. And um, you don't necessarily have to make a big move. They've already brought in Corey Perry. That's a move. Um, mm. They've got Dylan Holloway back from injury. Um, the, Philip Broberg is tearing up the pea patch in, in the AHL in Bakersfield. They've got um, Ben Gleason, who's solid depth defenseman there as well. You know, <clears throat> even in that, like Skinner's come on, obviously, and um, the Calvin Pickard's come on. There's not just, it's not screaming out to me that there's this huge need. Like, I was excited by the idea of Elias Lindholm. That's an exciting thought. Like, he's there. I, I think he's kind of Calgary's R&H for my take on yeah, the player. Like, sure. he can fade in a playoff, just like R&H can disappear in a playoff. So Elias Lindholm may help Vancouver, may not. Like, that's how I see him, but because uh, I don't see him as a driver, uh, that kind of player. But he's a really good complementary top line or second line player, and um, will will help that team unless the going gets super heavy, and and we'll see what happens then. But the, as for the orders, I'm just not convinced. You know, everyone's you know, like you say, top six winger, bottom line player. They got lots of bottom line players now. Like they're. they're even Sam Gagne, like Sam Gagne's sitting now, he's played great this year. It's the best. I think this is the best hockey Sam Gagne's ever played in Edmonton. It, in my opinion, is two-way hockey. He looks like he's a damn good two-way player. So I just don't, I'm not convinced there's any real need, but it sounds like they're going to get a forward. 
And if it was me, I would go for the third or third or fourth line center as the main need on the team. Um, if they could get someone, and we've heard what names will be heard. Oh, Scott Sissons from Nashville. He's a nasty player. Nice. Colton sounds good. He'd be a good guest. Colton Sissons. It's Colton. Colton. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Scott, There's was there a Scott Sissons? Yes, there was with the Islanders. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, he's a nasty player. He, that sounded good to me. And then there people mentioned Adam Henrique. I mean, I, I get all my news from Oilers now because Bob's so hooked. Bob Stoffer's so hooked up, right? Like he, he's, he's telling you the names. The one thing I would add, though, about trade targets is no one mentioned Matias Ekholm that I can recall last year. There was no mention of him, his name floating around. It was all um, Jacob Chikrin, Jacob Chikrin right. and more Jacob Chikrin. And who did we get? Matias Ekholm. Uh, so it could be someone no one's talking about now, and that's wouldn't be unexpected. Let's say you, Kurt. What's their big, what's their move going to be if there's going to be one? Well, <clears throat> first thing I'll say is, who thinks that Ken Holland, in what is his probably final year as a National Hockey League general manager, is going to bow out quietly and be conservative at the deadline? Not me. Who, who not, me. not me. That's a good point. Right? Yeah, excellent. So, point. on one hand, I agree with you, David. I think this is a really good team, and they probably only need one or two depth pieces to kind of have them looking really good. I think Ken's going to take a big swing. Uh, and so while I agree with you, I think a fourth, third, fourth line right-handed shot center with some size and penalty killing ability and face-off ability is probably their biggest real need. Uh, maybe some depth on defense because you're going to go through defensemen in the playoffs. Yeah. I wish I was 100% goal sold on the Oilers goaltending. Um there's no escaping how well it's playing, um, but it wasn't all that long ago that we thought they needed one, maybe two goalies. Um, yeah. Something tells me that Ken is going to go big game hunting and we'll get, I'm not saying a defenseman, but a player similar stature to Matias Ekholm. I think he's going to bring in a difference maker player, not I think we've already added depth. I think it's likely we'll get a difference maker. And that'll mean that some salary will have to go out in order to do that. But I have a hard time imagining Ken not swinging for the fences before he is, <laughs> I was going to say put out to pasture. That seems a little mean. Before he strolls off into the sunset. How's that? There you go. I'm convinced, 100% convinced he will trade for a defenseman because he's done it every year. Uh, he used to do it every year in Detroit. I uh, wrote about his trading tendencies before his first deadline. I said he always trades for a defenseman. And the last four years in a row, the first guy that he's brought into Edmonton at the deadline has been a D-man. It was Mike Green. It was uh, Dmitry Kulikov. It was Brett Kulak. Last year it was Matthias Ekholm. Now you could say... This year, he's got a six-man unit that's working, but who's number seven? You got Broberg down there in the minors. You got a bunch of unproven guys like Ben Gleason. Uh, I'd be very surprised if he didn't bring in some kind of guy with, you know, significant NHL experience to uh, uh, to uh, at least um, uh, ride herd, you know, in the press box and be available in the in the case of uh, of uh, someone going down. Uh, it's very possible, as you say, uh, Kurt, that he could take a swing for uh, uh, bigger fish. Uh, the name that I keep hearing repeatedly on the internet is Cody Cece. Uh, and the constant word that's associated with him is upgrade. I think the, the two words now have a hyphen between them, upgrade Cece. I've read it so often in the last few weeks. And it seems kind of strange. On the one level, it seems kind of strange to me and I understand the needs of the team and stuff and you want to stack your team as best as possible it doesn't seem like the guy has any fans <laughs> it's like everybody's we need to upgrade Cody Cece yeah yeah I am too uh, and <laughs> I look at the I look at the team's record and here they've in the last uh, uh, 14 games they've given up 18 goals They've allowed, I think, two power play goals in that time. He's on the top penalty killing unit. He's on the shutdown defense unit. Like, surely to goodness, he's had something to do with it. And yet, 
you know, the underlying metrics, you know, he's got a four, eight point six nine percent expected goals or whatever the heck the number is. And oh, that's crap. it's given to so many, you know, expected so many significant insignificant digits, I call them. But uh, it's it's something I'm sure the team's looking at it. Uh, but you'd have to get the you'd have to get the the right guy back and it'd be an upgrade, have to be an upgrade. I mean, you're hearing names like Sean Walker that's having a good season in Philadelphia. Is you know, is that an improvement? Is he, you know, how's he gonna fit in? These are the things you don't know. On the other hand, last year, as you say, we never heard of uh Ekholm coming in and he came in and he fit like a glove on this team. He was an absolute perfect ad in terms of what proved to be available versus what the team needed. You know, they couldn't have mail ordered from Acme and Warner Brothers <laughs> cartoons a better fit for Evan Bouchard's partner than the guy they got out of Nashville. So maybe there's something like that up there, Steve. And if they get that guy, they're going to have to trade out uh, contract uh, salary because they can't buy it down. They haven't got enough room to, you know, take a half-price guy and make him fit if that guy originally is making four or five or six million dollars. I just can't do it. I don't see this happening. I think it's a pipe dream of people who don't like Cody CC for whatever reason. You know, maybe it's his on ice analytics. I don't check those because yeah. I don't put a lot of weight on him. He's playing as well. He played in his first year here, which is pretty good. Not great. He's not a great defenseman. He's a good defenseman against tough competition and on the penalty kill. He's a huge part of the best penalty kill right now in the NHL. He's a huge part of the order shutdown pairing. You know, is he Alex Peter Angelo or Drew Doughty? No, but he only makes $3 million a year. And <clears throat> can they, I, I, you know, I guess they could figure out a way to try to afford a, a much more expensive defenseman. He's also a right shot defenseman. Yeah. And the owners don't have anyone ready to mm-hmm. step in with similar skills at right shot. So you'd have to replace them with a better right shot defenseman. So if the orders are going to be trading for a forward, as I expect, actually, not a not a, an upgrade on Cody Cece, um, yeah, I don't see it. I think I, the player that is hinted at, at moving from the orders insiders, the name that's come up on orders now, for instance, is Brett Kulak. Brett Kulak is playing excellent hockey in a much lesser role than Cody Cece. He's not playing the tough competition. He's not playing the penalty kill. He's playing great, though, in that role. If you put him in Cody Cece's role, would you get the same? Would you get more struggles? Would you get um, the same kind of excellent results that Kulak's getting? I I don't think so, because it's just, it's the defenseman's numbers, whatever metrics they're using, are really adversely affected if they play against tough competition. And that's why you're going to see um, bigger minus numbers for Cody Cece than for Kulak. <clears throat> so... Kulak, though, I, I really like the player. I think he's an excellent player. He's playing his best hockey as an Oiler right now. He's been in, in the last two years in the playoffs, really good in the playoffs. And I don't Both know if years. you want to trade him. If you, you're going to move salary, do you really want to move him? But you do have Philip Broberg, you know, who has very a very similar skill set. And could Philip Broberg play the 15 minutes a game that Kulak's going to get in the playoffs and be as good as Kulak he he just might like it's not it's not a crazy bet and the orders made a similar bet last season when they um traded Tyson Berry a lot of people you, you know you we can't move Tyson Berry like he's leading the best power play in the league well they had someone who was ready to step up in Evan Bouchard okay. there they were probably and there was lots of critics of Evan Bouchard but Bouchard was he's arguably I think more ready than Broberg is well, like sure. Bouchard was more ready last year than Broberg is now. But Philip Broberg is a really, really good hockey player. And I think he could give you close to what Kulak's giving. So if they made that trade, I wouldn't scream. But I don't know if they're going to make it. I like I like Kulak's game a lot. So I like, does Ken Hall. I'm oh, sorry, Kurt, you go ahead. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought he was, I think, is going to say what Bruce was going to say. Yeah, I think Ken Holland brought him in. <laughs> uh, um, and I don't see anywhere on Ken Holland's resume where he moves the veteran defenseman out and lets the gets the, lets the young buck um, take over. Um, but he did uh, last year, Kurt, with Barry and Bouchard. Yeah, like, that, it's not that, exactly the same. But, but, but he that, brought an Ekholm at that, the same time. Because you're, bring, you're bringing an Ekholm on, on the left side, 
and and Barry was blocking Bouchard on the power play. I yeah. I think that, I think it's a different situation. And for with all due respect to Philip Broberg, we don't know that he's an NHL defenseman. We don't. Uh, and and comparable player, okay. If you take away the eight nine years of NHL experience that the other guy has, um, definition of making Kurt nervous. The Oilers going into the playoffs, betting on Philip Broberg being able to be a, a regular fifteen minute a night defenseman for them uh, when you get down to just sixteen and then eight NHL teams. Hey, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't. That's not a bet I'd be interested in making, and I don't think it's a bet that Ken Holland's interested in making. We certainly saw how Vincent DeHarnay struggled in the playoffs last year. Like he, yes, he came. Let's, he came unglued in a few games. He was just not close to getting it done. Now he's rebounded from that, and he looks ready now to take on the playoffs. But man, he and he looked ready though at the you know at times in the regular season last year. Everyone, but in, it just didn't work. So, Kurt, you could well be right, but I'm I, I would I I wouldn't be against it. I if if you're bringing in the right player, like you have to clear contract, right? Who are you going to move out? Which contract are you going to clear? You have to make a very if that's what you're going to do. Okay, so you're not Warren Fogle, so it could be CC. I guess you can pick CC, but then you have to replace him with a right. You're going to so it's that's when you make the direct right D for right D movement, and you try to bring in a better. Right D, he was probably making a lot more than Cody Cece. <clears throat> so I don't know who that player is. I don't know if he's available and um, what else the orders would have to give up. But that's a possibility. You, you know, I, if, if the orders also do that, I'm not that, that would make I'm not going to be upset that that would make sense, too. But if they want a forward and that's that seems to be the talk is around a forward. Um, you know, they're not moving out cool or Fogel's contract. Right now, Warren Fogel's been playing great two-way hockey for more than a year now. They're not they're not trading Evander Kane. I don't think I don't know how much trade value Evander Kane has. Like he has some, obviously, but he makes a lot of money. I just don't see any obvious other moves other than Kulak in terms of moving salary. So that's why people come to his name, I believe, for no other reason. Plus, there's the fact that there is a possible replacement in Broberg. So it could happen. I see the time to move Kulak as, as the off season, and to keep him for the playoffs, where he's had two good playoffs for Edmonton, mm-hmm. in, in my view. Uh, and my big—I don't want to call it a quarrel—but my big question with the Kulaks signing all along was that it was a four-year deal, which was clearly a, a roadblock to Philip Broberg, and it remains one. And once they also added Ekholm, all of a sudden they got three guys locked in for years, veterans, all of them ahead of Broberg, and, and, and they're all healthy and staying healthy, which is great, but it's, it's got to be mighty frustrating for young Philip, who's ripping up the pea patch down there in Bakersfield. Like, he he is so much the best defenseman on the ice in the games that I watch. It's, it's just not even close. And uh, he's, you know, I'll give him a lot of credit. He's playing his ass off down there. He's not sort of frustrated and thrown in the towel. He's uh, he's given it what he's got, showing plenty. Like, I think what, what, what terrifies me more than anything is the order's turn trading Broberg as a, you know, a throw-in prospect in some deal and then have him blossom in some other NHL city, you know. It happened. It's, oh, yeah, it's a very, I mean, you can, very you can make an argument, Bruce, that Kulak is blocked in Edmonton with right now. He's playing great hockey, and you have that Coleman nurse ahead of him. He, like, he, yep. he could be ready for a top-four role for the next couple of years on a team and do a, you know, he was signed to that contract, I think, with the slight hope, with the hope that he might step up into the top four. And he just didn't cut it in the first half of the season right. in his um, first year of that contract. And that's why they had to bring an Ekholm. Kurt, anything else? Yeah, you know, I said how <clears throat> the Canucks would win that deal if they win in the playoffs, but they'll lose the deal if they don't. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you have to look at a Philip Broberg trade. If you, let's say Philip Broberg does get dealt, no one likes to, to trade a bright prospect like him. But if you trade him and win, it was the price of doing business. Right. If you if you win, that's it. That it was worth the money. Mm-hmm. If you don't, then then you look at the GM and say that was the wrong deal. 
but I, I think it's I think it's as simple as as clear cut as that. I think they're going to need him at a lower salary the next couple of years. They're going to have to trade Kulak this summer. Like it's either now or then. But I can, I, you know, I think that's how it, how it plays out. It's when you you know they're not trading Nurse, they're not trading Ekholm. So um, this is the modern NHL. All right, guys, let's move to the next area. Corey Perry, what did you think of his debut, Kurt? I thought it was solid. Um, it uh, Bruce and I did the podcast with uh, with you in Vegas on the night of his first game, and I think we both agreed it didn't look like a guy who had been out of the NHL for two months. Um, he didn't rip it up, but he didn't look rusty either. Um, his first shift, he plowed right into the other team's goalie with his <laughs> stick, <laughs> kind of like you'd, you'd hope he'd finally do for us as opposed to against us. Um mm-hmm. I thought he was the the brains and the savvy on the line with those two fast young guns that he was playing with. Um, early returns, really positive. Um, will that continue? Hard to say, uh, but talk about motivation. He's got lot of, lots of motivation, maybe more now than ever before. Uh, but I thought early sample was was solid to better than solid. Bruce, what do you think of the acquisition now one game in? Well, you want a veteran depth player. Hard to ask for much more veteran than uh, than Corey Perry, uh, who was very nearly an Edmonton Oiler 21 years ago in 2003 when uh, Kevin Lowe had a verbal agreement to get him for Mike Comrie, only to uh, basically scuttle his own trade by asking Comrie for some bonus money back in one of the more infamous failed deals in Oilers history, of which there's been a few. Uh, that's a whole other podcast. Uh, but 1,274 games for Perry, 421 goals. Like He's got more goals than any other player on the Oilers. Right? Like he just comes in and he's already number one on that list ahead of McDave, Dreisaitl, Kane, all of them. Uh, 196 playoff games. Not only leads the Oilers, it's actually number one in the NHL among active players for playoff experience. And it's a guy who's won the Stanley Cup, and he's won everything there is to win, right? He's won the Olympic Games. He's won the World Championships. He's won the World Cup of Hockey, the Memorial Cup, the World Junior. One of only two players in the history of hockey to win all six of those major team trophies, the other being the great Scott Niedermeyer, uh, his old teammate on uh, on Anaheim. And so some of, you know, his, his bona fides are, are phenomenal. And the question is, can he keep up? Like he's the slowest player in the league. I saw uh, a, uh, a list of the fastest and slowest players in the league that had Ryan Cloud at number two, and Connor McDavid. So they were counting how many bursts they had of 20 kilometers or more. Corey Perry was dead last in the league with zero. <laughs> <laughs> so he was at the very bottom of the charts but on that line with Dylan Holloway and and uh, uh, Ryan McLeod that's not a line that needs speed so much as it needs savvy now the question is can he be in the same zone as those guys when you know when they're trying to get it done but uh, I trust his ability to get to where he needs to go yeah, and to be efficient when he gets there what was that Kurt? he didn't look slow in the offensive zone no the good ones never do. All right. Biggest surprise of the season. Kurt? Oh, biggest surprise. Best, best surprise, excuse me. Best, best surprise. Yes, yes, best surprise of the season. <clears throat> um, I'll go with Calvin Pickard. Um, because I think that Ken Holland was backed into a corner. Um, both of his goalies had hit the skids. Both of them just came out of the gate. Different variations of terrible. Um, And had Ken Holland not signed Calvin Pickard, um, what would have he done? Well, he would have been forced into a trade then and there. Instead, the veteran GM goes, well, I got this guy to be our organizational number three. Damn it, let's have him be the organizational number three. So they made the decision, we're going to ride the kid who played well for us last year. We're shipping the other guy out of here. And this guy is our new backup goaltender. 
it was a decisive move. And the way Pickard played after he came up did two valuable things. One, he's given the orders one quality start after another. Two, and probably more valuable in the long run, he's bought his general manager time. Ken Holland didn't have to, and to this point, as we're speaking tonight, still doesn't need to do anything about goaltending. Maybe he doesn't ever need to do anything about this goaltending. Um, but at the very least, Calvin Pickard has come in, has played above his career average, and has bought his general manager time so that Holland didn't have to make a panic deal in the moment. So I'll pick that as my happiest surprise. And honestly, as a good veteran, I'm happy for Pickard too. I think both Pickard and Skinner have really uh, played well and have also really benefited from the uh, superior defensive structure, uh, decision-making effort um, that we're seeing on the Oilers. I'm just doing, uh, working on a post. Um, uh, Rick Bonus, the Winnipeg coach, uh, was saying his worst, one of the worst plays he hates to see in hockey, or the worst play in hockey, in his opinion, is the bad line change. And um, what we've seen, interestingly, <clears throat> under uh, Knobloch, they've all but disappeared. They were they were uh, fairly common at the start of the year, and they were fairly common in Jay Woodcroft's uh, last season as well. Bad line changes leading to grade A shots against, but that's just uh, gone away, and that's epitomizes, I think, some of the defensive effort we're seeing that these two goalies are benefiting from. But they really are playing. Fabulous hockey. Bruce, what's your best surprise? Yeah, well, I'm going to go with the other guy, uh, Stuart Skinner. Uh, and it was an unpleasant surprise for sure at the start of the season. His game just was was just not there at all. I think he was running a 856 uh, save percentage at the time that uh, Jack Campbell got sent down at 873. And he was actually, he had at least some of his numbers were worse than Campbell's at that time. Uh, the right decision was made. No one was going to touch Jack Campbell, and the Oilers would have been happy if someone had. Whereas they had put Stu Skinner on waivers coming off the all-rookie team. They might have lost him on waivers, so it wasn't a reasonable thing to do. But he was very much at a crossroads because they brought in Calvin Pickard and gave Stu the number one reins. And if he struggled for any length of time thereafter, you know, who knows what would have happened in terms of what Holland would have been forced to do. But instead, he rolled off a seven-game winning streak in uh, November and December, lost a couple of games, and now he's got a team record, 12 straight wins uh, since uh, since the winter solstice, uh, 12 wins, no losses, with a 950 save percentage, 950 save percentage. You know, the other team's shooting 5% on the guy. Early in the season, they were shooting nearly 15%. Now they're getting 5% of their, you know, one shot in 20 is beating the guy. And he's playing great. He, you know, the defense is playing better. The penalty kill is way more organized. There's way fewer odd man rushes. There's way fewer Royal Road passes and one-timers, you know, from cross-seamers. And, uh, but he's making saves, and some of them are fantastic. I'm still shaking my head at that blocker save he made off of Evangelista on the four-way passing play Those against Nashville. <laughs> wow, how he stopped that? Like, how? Like, they did. It was a perfect play by Nashville. The poor kid that made the great shot was just <laughs> throwing up his hands. And when you have the goalie uh, bamboozling the other guy, and the other thing, uh, and I think maybe a Knobloch or somebody close to the team made this comment. When was the last time you see either of the Edmonton goalies giving a bad goal? It's been like, it's been like a month. Yeah. It used to be like one or two a game at the start of the year, and, and at least, you know, one every other game. And it's been forever since you've seen one. You go, well, he'd sure like that one back. I haven't heard an announcer say that for a long time. And you know they say it every single time a goalie lets in a bad goal. So none of them has happened. It's uh, it's just been a complete sea change. And Skinner, after his promising year last year, and then his sort of iffy playoffs, and then the bad start this year, what do we got here? Well, he has bounced back with a vengeance. And uh, he looks to be Edmonton goalies, Edmonton Oilers goalie of the future. And the just, just to support what Bruce is saying there, I was listening to Elliot Friedman the other day talk about 
potential Team Canada goaltenders. And mm-hmm. the two names that he mentioned were Jordan Biddington and Stuart Skinner. Biddington, eh? Okay. <laughs> so the last um, time Skinner gave up a, where we marked him as giving up a bad goal was game 27. So that's uh, <clears throat> 18 games ago. Against Tampa, eh? Correct. He had one and bad game in there, in between his two big winning streaks. And he, remember, he took he, he came out after the game and said, that loss is on me, the boys played well enough to, to win it, and the loss is my fault. But he didn't beat himself up and berate himself. And, you like know, he, he just, yeah, well, yeah. He just said, I own this one, I owe them one, and he owed them more than one because he's been delivering ever since. So I really respect that. And for Calvin Pickard, it is, um, he had a missed assignment on a goal. I'm not sure what he did there. He must have got drawn out of the net, and that's game 38, I think. Let me just, give me one second, I'll tell you which game it is. My computer is not the easiest to operate here. Game... Come on. A few games ago now. Yeah. Oh, I can't get it. Anyway. The one in uh, Anaheim, maybe, on uh, New Year's Eve. And he was yeah. really good in that game. But Yeah. They got, I think, one weird one. So they've been, you're right, Bruce. Just there hasn't been bad goals against them. Those, that's, what's, that's what kills a team as much as anything else in a hockey game. You just can't have that. Uh, my best surprise will be Warren Fogle. Um, Good pick. He, um, if anyone had said at the start of the year, will Warren Fogle be established second line, top six hockey player on this team? I don't think many people would have bet on that. Even though um, for the 2000 and year second half of last season, he was really good. Um, he's he's picked up on that. He's been even better. He's just been been playing fantastic, absolutely fantastic two way hockey. Uh, he he's he's strong on defense, great on the forecheck. And he's making plays with the puck that no one expected him to ever make. His stick handling has been uh, exemplary, and he's starting to shoot more and better. So um, most of he all but um, he's only got one power play point, and he's got 25 points. <laughs> excuse me, in 45 games. So that's a lot of even strength points to put up for a for an NHL player. He's gonna get he's gonna get paid, Warren yeah. Fogle this summer. He's gonna by get someone. a good contract by someone. Probably not the Oilers won't be able to afford him, but um, he's really getting it done for the Edmonton Oilers right now. So good for Warren Fogle. Worst surprise, Kurt? Connor Brown. Yeah. Um, I wrote, many others did too, but I wrote that Connor Brown was Zach Hyman light, if only. Um. Has Connor Brown been an excellent penalty killer this year? 100%. Um, But he's pulled up short in pretty much every other aspect. Um, This is a guy who was signed to be a top six forward, if not Connor McDavid's right winger. And with the puck, he has failed the audition miserably and made his general manager look bad in the process. Mm Mm-hmm. Can he rescue all this with an excellent second half? Yeah. If he plays really well and the team goes ahead and wins, um, we'll laugh at those 40 games instead of being angry at them. Right now, I'm angry at them. Now, in fairness to the player, I'll bet he is too. The guy's trying his ass off. I don't have any issue with his effort. I wish he was more physical. Um, He is like 16th on the team in hits. Um, positionally he's, he plays sound like he plays like a veteran, but he just can't piss a drop. Um, and there are some nights where I wonder when I see guys like, you know, Sam Gagne and Adam Ernie on the bench, I wonder really, really Connor Brown in this current state is playing ahead of them. Um, it's been a failure. Um, I'm hoping for the player. I'm hoping for the team that he turns it around. But to this point, it's been bad. I've liked him in the last month um, increasingly. I think he, I think you can see problems with his skating. I think we there's tentativeness with his skating that we've seen all through. Major so, 
yeah, major injury and it's taken a while to come back. So I still have, I've, I'm still hopeful and patient with the player. I, I'm, I'm not angry because I see real effort in the guy. Like I, I think he yeah. hustles hard. Yes. I, I see him as a hardworking player in the Matthias Janmark kind of, um, you know, not, not another guy who doesn't hit much, but really works hard. So I've got a, actually a lot of time for Connor Brown. I think he contributes to the, he's contributed to this winning streak significantly and um, man, if he does start making some offensive moves, like I hear he has in his repertoire, maybe. Um, I mean, this could still work out. It's one of Kurt. I'm going to put it to you that this is one of like you're making this point about other moves. If the owners win the cup with Connor Brown playing a, a significant role, whatever, and you, you made the, just that point right now yourself. So yep. um, <clears throat> that's what I expect to happen. So I'm still. Uh, I'll be as I'll I'll get angry if they lose in the first round of the playoffs and he doesn't play well, but I'm not angry yet. I'm patient about Connor Brown. What about you, Bruce? Yeah, I'm not happy with the bonus on his contract, of course, but uh, the player. I mean, he can't score at all, which is you know the the obvious. You know, how can he possibly have zero goals at this point? Two-time twenty-goal scorer in this league. Yeah. Uh, but his penalty killing's been good. And so is the teams, but he's been playing a lot of minutes on the PK, so it's that. But, I mean, overall, you'd have to say, yeah, disappointment. My disappointment is a guy that I wrote about in uh, in the preseason in glowing terms. Here's my headline, so I can feel shame here on live blog. <clears throat> have no fear, Oilers fans. Jack Campbell's turnaround is already well underway. <laughs> <laughs> He was playing oh, great in camp. He was. He good in the preseason games. He looked like he completely had his shit together in that, you know. And, and <laughs> last year was behind him. He played well enough in the preseason to earn the starting game uh, assignment in game one of the season. And they went into Vancouver and the whole team laid an egg. And it wasn't even really on him, that, you know. But he got blown out, pulled halfway through his first game of the year. And it just all came apart. He had one good game in Nashville, and then he followed that up with three, I would say, bad games in a row, and he was gone. And the team... had to go. Yeah, yeah, they had to do something. And he went down to uh, Bakersfield, and the team, I think, made 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 a strategic error of pushing him right into the net in Bakersfield when he got there and playing him three games in a row and letting Rodrigue, who'd been playing well, watch from the bench while... Campbell continued to struggle. He was running 8-19 after three games there. I think it was 13 goals on 72 shots or some crazy thing. And then they finally gave him a couple of games off to get his head together. And since then, he's actually been pretty good. And, you know, I think he still is sort of in the, you know, back pocket uh, as a possible uh, emergency option in the playoffs. I don't see how they get him up before the playoffs because they'd have to send out Calvin Pickard and lose him on waivers, and yeah. they'd have to send out another player to make room for his salary. So I think he's stuck there until April. But once the playoffs start, uh, you know, if, if heaven forbid something were to happen to uh, uh, the starting goalie, like that's one of your backup options. But he's been a massive disappointment, and on you know a second year of a five times five contract. I mean, that is a major kick in the junk for the team and their whole salary cap situation. And it's uh, it's just not worked out well at all. Uh, my biggest disappointment is Jay Woodcroft and Dave Manson getting fired. And, and also the state they had the team in in the first 13 games. I mean, I think they have to take some responsibility. Absolutely. And... Um, so I, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what that responsibility is. I mean, we, we've heard about the, you know, chaotic forward combinations on the PK. There seemed to be uh, an Ill- inability to get these players to play smart, solid defensive hockey. Um, there was, we, what we're seeing from the defense is a much higher level of confidence moving the puck um, since the, the turnover. So um, then there was, of course, the injuries and there was they were they were the ones stuck with giving Jack Campbell his his due. Whoever was the coach at the start of the year had to play Jack Campbell. They're the ones who had to suffer through Jack Campbell's breakdown and meltdown. So there was a lot of bad luck. But 
um, maybe they made some mistakes too. Not exactly sure what they were. The, the biggest one seems to be on defense. The defense core looks like a new group of players um, under Paul Coffey and uh, Chris Knobloch. They do seem to be playing with more confidence and um, making plays as Paul Coffey wants them to do, insists on them doing, is to make plays. And um, there could be something there where um, Paul Coffey was just the right coach at the right time for this group of defensemen to uh, to lead them to their their best game because they're all playing their best game right now. Every single one of these guys. I mean, e- even the much criticized Cody Cece. This is his best hockey that he's played in Edmonton, and he's playing really well. Um, so um, it it was disappointing though the whole thing with Madsen and Woodcroft. I didn't expect it. I thought right from the get go we'd see this Oilers that we're seeing right now uh, dominating the league right from the start because that's I they had it. I thought they had it in them right from the start. It didn't happen, and that was really hard to take for for me and for I think all other Oilers fans. I was shocked by what happened. Like I thought with Jay Woodcroft, they captured the perfect storm. You know, they 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 got a career coach within their own organization. They brought him up. He came up at the same time as a bunch of his players <clears throat> looked like John John Cooper. 2.0 in terms of yeah. the timing of everything that happened and then last year's playoffs of course so some seeds of doubt and then this year like i mean we talked about it already the odd man rushes against the the, the royal road passes the bad line changes you know some of that was on the coaching the team just didn't have it together and they i mean they weren't making their shots. They weren't making the saves that, you know, some of the underlying numbers suggested they were still controlling the games. But one of the reasons they were controlling the games is they were always trailing and pushing the play. And so they had score effects running on their side. Whereas Knobloch's team is posting very good uh, um, puck possession numbers while, you know, oftentimes leading games or at least being tied in, in the game. And it's, it's been a sea change. You, you mentioned, of course, uh, um, Knobloch and Coffee, and I'll put in a big shout out for Mark Stewart, who went from Mr. Who knows what he's doing back there to running the p- penalty kill, and the penalty kill has been absolutely crushing it. So, shout out to him as well. And whatever they've got going on with the uh, new staff and uh, and uh, Teflon man, uh, Glenn Gullitson. They're getting the job done, and it's uh, you know <laughs> more power to them. It's and I say that as a, and I'm still a fan of Jay Woodcroft, and I still think he'll be a successful coach in this league. But one of the reasons he will be is because he's smart enough to learn from the mistakes that he made in Edmonton. Yeah, you know when you see the manner with which the coaches conduct themselves behind the bench now, I can't help but wonder how much of the change is due to that alone. You know, there's an old saying when you grow up in the farm, uh, you don't need to whip a good horse. Mm-hmm. Do you think though the Woodcroft and Matson, because Woodcroft struck me as very calm though as well. Was, was he, do you think he was not Kurt? I, I'm not behind the bench. I'm not in the room, but the players sure reacted differently to someone with Chris Knobloch's mannerisms behind the bench. That's a fair comment, but I just, yeah, they just, Woodcroft and, and Knobloch seem more similar than than dissimilar. Like, they're both really smart, calm, uh, polite people, uh, highly knowledgeable. They are. I'm, I'm not as convinced that there is equally right. behind the bench. Fair enough. They're, and they're, they they could have completely, we don't, I don't know that. We don't know what what their their demeanor and their their communication skills are like between periods and you know they have so much contact with the players so i and i do though knobloch is a very unassuming humble person like he just strikes you as like this very like um i don't know like an introverted teacher um who is just very gentle and it's very unlike any very un nhl coach like like I don't, I don't think I've ever seen an NHL coach like this guy. It's very well, interesting. 
No one's going to confuse him with John <clears throat> Cooper. Yeah. Well, well, well look, um, I thought Jay Woodcroft is a good coach, too. I think I was equally as surprised as you guys were and disappointed when he got fired. So but early, too. Seen of since and heard here and there, um, I think the change in style behind the bench was a welcome change. All right. All right. You're hinting at things here, Kurt. I like it. <laughs> and, and Paul Coffey, the message, like, this is a shocker to me. I thought, what are they doing bringing in old Paul Coffey? You know, hasn't even sort of formally coached, uh, you know, for all these years. And yet the message that he's delivering to his defensemen of, you know, positivity and make plays with the puck, do something positive with it. Don't just dump it out, you know, look for a pass receiver. And that message is landing. And they are making plays, and they're exiting their own zone in possession. I think quite a bit more than the, than they were. And you, who you knew? can <laughs> you can coach confidence into players mm -hmm. by demanding by demanding that they make plays and by freeing them from freaking out when they make mistakes. Right. And um, if you do those two things, you can breed confidence in hockey players. And I'll, I give shout out to Paul Coffey. He made every um, minor hockey coach feel 10 feet tall in an interview earlier this year or 100 feet tall. He said, well, this, this, what's the, you know, you, you didn't have the NHL experience. And Paul said, well, I just don't see this as any different as coaching nine-year-olds. I give them the same message and to these young men. And um, it's the exact same thing. And it's, no, it's not different at all. So <laughs> there you go. Stuff he learned from Glenn Sather, I reckon. Or maybe from some minor hockey coach. I mean, you know, yeah. there's lots of excellent minor hockey hockey coaches as well. I mean, his dad, I know, pushed Paul Coffey really hard. Uh, was a huge driving force in his life. All righty, uh, let's move on to the final item on our list. Playoff predictions. So what kind of prediction are you looking for here, Kurt? Stanley Cup final? I'm, Who's going to win I'm the cup? How many all... rounds? I'm looking for all three of us to be willing to stick our neck out. And, and since Bruce and I were already honest, <laughs> fell on our own swords because we were so wrong with what we wrote in the off season, here's our chance to be wrong all over again. <laughs> so are we predicting where they start, like where they finish the season to start the playoffs or we finish where, how deep where, they where, go in the playoffs? They, where they end when the summer. Oh, okay. Ends. Well, Kurt, I always pick the Oilers to win the cup. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, How's that worked out so far? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to be right one of these times, and you won't mm. hear the end of it. So, listen, I can see why I was wrong in the past by how they're playing now. Um, they never had, they never, and it really became so apparent against Vegas, where they just, their defensive play was, their defensive play was shitty. It was terrible. And... I can see why Jay Woodcroft was changing things up heading into this season. You you could not have it can't couldn't happen again. But I think that finally, finally the best players on the team are playing much better defensive hockey. Drysaddle and Nurse in particular have both calmed down considerably. Darnell's not he's making better decisions and not taking as many chances. And Leon is finally back checking hard and covering in front of the net hard like he should have been doing for years now. He's doing it. And Connor McDavid is a two-way beast. He is an absolute monster. Our numbers show it. Our, you know, when we look at grade-A shots, it's, he's creating four grade-A shots for everyone he makes a mistake on. It's unheard of for a center. He's just playing, he's playing by far. Just as good a two-way player as he was developing into, he is a monster as a two-way hockey player right now. There's no, I can't imagine there's a better two-way hockey player in the NHL right now than Connor McDavid. So, yeah, I think they're going to win the Stanley Cup. A lot depends. I think this defensive habits that we're seeing formed right now and displayed over a lengthy period of time, they seem to me like they're going to last. And they, you can, they're going to be able to rely on them in the playoffs when they need to. They're, they're starting to become ingrained. They don't have to think about it so much. The question mark is goaltending. And if Stuart Skinner uh, can play like he's been playing, then, yeah, I, they've got to be the cup favorite. That's where I'm, I'm picking them to win. Bruce? Yeah, you're asking the guy who said, have no fear, Oilers fans. Jack Campbell's turnaround is already well underway. <laughs> so my fallback is I'm an astronomer, not an astrologer. So casting horoscopes <laughs> isn't really my thing. Uh, I do love I do love their chances. 
Uh, I think they're really putting it together. Uh, McDavid is taking it to another level. Uh, uh, there's uh, better two-way play from the team. There's be- you know, there's better all-around defensive play. And this is the year that they really make a run at it. And I will guess uh, that they will make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. Bruce, if you just put your hair out straight out, you could look like an astrologer, I think. Yeah, well, this, stu- up, this stupid thing is cutting my head off today. But <laughs> I don't know how these cameras work on these things, but not well. Astrologer, you could have that astrologer vibe if you worked mm-hmm. at it. <laughs> yeah. Kurt, what's your prediction? Uh, I won't sound very original because I'm with Bruce. Um, I see a path for the Oilers to get out of the West this year. Um, and now I'll sound a little bit like David. Um, but is there goaltending the two guys that they have three guys that they have good enough to get them all the way uh i we see increasing evidence in the playoffs in today's nhl that nhl teams need more than one goaltender to get them through the playoffs. last two years yeah vegas needed what three or four last year um yeah you know we've seen what's what's going on with la um I admire the hell out of what Calvin Pickard has done. Is he a Stanley Cup playoff goaltender? I don't know. Um, I have a reasonable degree of confidence in Stuart Skinner. Do I have any in Jack Campbell? No offense, Jack, but no. Yeah. Well, that's so fair. I see a path to the to the to 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 winning the West. Um, but their goaltending will have to hold up over four series for them to win the cup, and. I think, I know I'm the guy who said they need a fourth-line center at the deadline, but you know what? What they're probably short of is a 1B goaltender before I'm really confident to call them Stanley Cup champions in waiting. Jack Campbell. Go ahead, Bruce. By 1B, you kind of mean 1A because, you know, your quarterback is only the backup until the starter goes down, and then he's your quarterback. Uh, I mean, last two years we've seen it where, I mean, Colorado beat uh, Edmonton with uh, Pavel Prantsuz in net, not with uh, Darcy Kemper. And then last year, uh, you know, they were already, they'd lost Logan Thompson during the season. Well, they lost, first of all, they lost Robin Lehner before the season, then they lost Logan Thompson in the season. They were using Laurent Brossois in the playoffs. And he got hurt against Edmonton, and they brought in Aiden Hill, who they picked up in a trade for a fourth-round draft pick. And who the hell is Aiden Hill, right? I mean, just another gumper the goalie, really. And yet he came in, and he was fantastic the rest of the way. <laughs> maybe that's Pickard. Or maybe it's some Oilers are going to trade a fourth-round draft pick for the next Aiden Hill. Or maybe Stu Skinner is going to pull off the Andre Vasilevsky and play every minute of the playoffs, right? I mean, there's... It's goaltending is, as they say, voodoo. Very hard to predict. Well, if we're looking for the best story, and if things trend towards the best story, then Jack Campbell, Jack Campbell <laughs> comes through, steps in the playoffs when at a moment of need, and gives the Oilers what it takes to win the Stanley Cup. And so Connor was... Brown scores the winning goal in Game Seven. Right. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Thing, to be fair to Jack Campbell. If he was playing behind the orders the way they're playing right now, do you yeah. think he'd look as terrible as he did no, in October? No, he would not. He would not. He would not. You know, he's playing. He's playing against behind a good defense in Bakersfield now, and he's in the AHL right. level, and he's playing good. He's he's having a really good run of games. Yeah, but Jack Campbell wasn't letting in those bad goals because the defense was leaky. No, he that's true. Bad goals because he was playing bad. Yeah, Brian Lawton said the most damning thing Uh-oh. about Jack Campbell. This this. <laughs> I, I didn't hear him say, so I'm just quoting, but, you know, the, this idea that he, he never would have signed Jack Campbell because he'd never seen him make the same save twice in a row. <laughs> so I so even when he's making the save, it's like, oh, God, that's a really Where's that rebound going to go? We're not quite sure. And if you didn't say that, Brian Lott, and if you didn't say that, I apologize for misquoting you, but that's that's what I heard you said. So it, I think I've, heard, I've heard that quoted more than <laughs> once, and it, it's a, a very original-sounding quote. So somebody said it, and it was probably him. That is a, such a brutal <laughs> comment about a goalie. Because <laughs> Stuart Skinner makes the same save every time, right? Like, that's his Seems calling like card. 
Mr. Like he's always looking the same when he makes the save. So he's he's not Mike Paul Materian, that Stuart Skinner. He's he's Ken Ryden. That's his style. Or you know, Ben Lawton should be a candidate to be the next general manager of this team. Of this team, maybe. Well, but don't you think Jackson's going to be the GM? Isn't he not? No. All right. Yeah, maybe he will be. Uh, Kurt, that's a possibility. He's he he comes across as an extremely uh, experienced and smart hockey mind. So I wouldn't mind that at all. All right. Final uh, any final thoughts? We got the um, I'm actually I don't watch the all I haven't watched the All Star Game since I was a kid, but um, I might watch the skills competition. Yeah, part of it. So I like fun. skills competition. Just like you, I have no use for the game anymore. So it's yeah. not even a game. It's several sort of mini games, and there's not a lot of structure or or intensity or anything. The skills competition is more interesting frankly and none, none of it's that interesting but uh now they got a million dollars riding break. on it yeah they well that'll, that'll pick it up and i think that some of the new contests might uh might have some uh uh some interest just because they're new and different a million dollars is a lot of money even to someone who's made millions so that's a lot of money for these nhl players so i think it's going to make it real fun and uh, interesting for people to watch as well all right Let's leave it there. Thank you for talking tonight, Kurt. And thank you, Bruce. Thank you both, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. Thanks for listening.